Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. And get your head knocking. here <laughs> what's good everybody welcome back welcome back it's your favorite neighborhood thug it's thug crowd time so i'm trying to get i have a fan here and it's very tiny but it's very powerful and it's a lot of noise i'm gonna blame or move it away from me over here but I'm rocking it so how's everyone doing mm, well how are you yeah can't complain it's been a busy uh busy week <laughs> Very busy week. Oh, hold on. Let's uh, get to the actual. Here we go. <laughs> so, uh, anybody who notices that uh, that people are coming in and asking why we're not playing Fortnite, um, just tell them that we are. Yeah. Fortnite. They were actually talking about Fortnite. This that's the theme of today's show is uh, <laughs> it's about capturing the flag. It's about capturing the flag. And moving track of reality. Yeah, um, and if uh, yeah, and people who play Fortnite who are capturing the flag or battle royaling often lose track of reality. So it all relatable out. content. Very very relatable. Real gamer hours. My <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. dopamine receptors. Your dopamine receptors. What about them? Oh, they're getting burnt out from all this Fortnite. Oh, so sick. Can't handle it. <laughs> They're dope. Dope. Oh. Um, so anyone do anything cool this weekend? Any big uh any big things? Uh, did a lot of safari safari uh zoning. <laughs> we had quite an adventure this uh this weekend. You guys can see that in our show notes. There's a lot of saf- um, not a lot of different things a lot of new new threats old threats um, sites that have been hacked for like 10 plus years a um, couple of really cool orcs shout out to Hermit I think she might be joining the Zoom um, soon I don't know when uh, um, and everybody who hangs out because yeah we've, if you guys don't know um, our, our section called Safari Zone in our uh in our show notes is just weird stuff that we find online. It started out, I guess, with like Shodan safari but it's kind of just evolved into something way crazier now um, <laughs> because we kind of have um, a few different different uh, 
channels where we share very strange links to weird stuff that can't be easily explained or stuff that is just hilarious and needs to be shared. Um, yeah. And sometimes the things in there as well, like if you share the link, you look at it and be like, what the hell is this? And like, unless you sort of know what it is, like trying to explain it to somebody else, you just be like, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> no, there's a lot of yeah. It's our little cyber aquarium. Yes, exactly. Little terrarium of, uh, of fun stuff. But yeah, speaking of that, though, we definitely have some stuff that we're going to be um, rolling out and disclosing soon. There's quite a few bugs that we have found um, recently, and it'll be fun to share them with y'all. So we'll let you know when that happens. Um, Shout out to uh, Snowze right now. Who? Uh, Snowze in the chat for the big cheer. Yeah, thank you for, uh, for uh, doing all the hearing and, and rewards and things. That's awesome. Just gave Dollar VPN Club an emote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, let's do some announcements real quick. Um, so tonight we're talking about um, basically we're just going to be discussing CTFs and what like, we had a lot of debates there's a lot of debates over whether or not cts or even things like the ostp and hack the box um are you know actually valuable things for people who are you know want to be pen testers or want to be exploit devs or whatever um and we have done quite a few ctfs um participated in them and created them and we you know enjoy them generally um but it's definitely a a worthy debate to discuss uh, with y'all whether or not you know what you, what you like or what you don't like about CTFs, how it actually applies to anything that you do in your in your daily life or your career, um, and just sort of just talk to everybody about that because a lot of us in here have done some pretty cool stuff with CTFs before, um, have won them and created some really interesting ones. And so we definitely want to get some feedback and also talk about how they can actually apply to anything that's real. Because a lot of the times they're just uh, <laughs> the computer escape rooms uh, with no basis in actual reality. Um, so it's definitely interesting stuff. <laughs> computer, computer riddles. That they're on, yes. Computer riddles. Um, so speaking of CTFs, though, Blood uh, Cry's Extra Life Charity Stream planning, planning is underway. Um, so we have a page um, for donations. We already raised, I think, like $450. And I think what's the goal? Is it five thousand or ten thousand? Yeah, ten thousand. Um, so last year we raised over three thousand dollars for charity um, by doing CTFs live streamed, um, which is really really fun. And we also had a Twitch to shell to root a box. This year we are going to be doing something a bit more grand. Um, it is an IoT CTF where teams will uh, get to basically just hack a bunch of uh, vulnerable devices that have been emulated and, and reconfigured in some way that represents the real world way of actually targeting and exploiting um, devices for everything from you know, botnets to um, different sort of weird routing stuff. There's tons of different things people use IoT devices for. Um, in the real world yeah. and so we kind of want to emulate that as much as possible and have our teams be basically uh groups that are going to be fighting against each other in like a death match to control the most nodes by the end of the uh by the end of the time so everything's kind I mean, of and then let's just think 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 about this as like a participant right you you're on a network and every device is ridiculously vulnerable but if you end map half of them will crash so yep and but, so uh, they'll also recover <laughs> Yeah, and some of them also trip off IDSs that will block you from 
um, talking to them um, at all. Um, there's tons, there's gonna be tons of different tricks. We have a lot of people that are now working on all the different aspects of it. We have uh, different teams that we divided people into, and so we have a Twitter at um, IOTCTF. Uh, if you add them and DM the IOTCTF. Uh, Twitter, you'll be able to talk to somebody to um, sign up and get into our chats, or if you want to either participate or donate or sponsor something, if you're a vendor that wants to get involved, uh, we'd love to have you and talk to you. Um, we have a couple people that are interested already in, in helping to fund and um, provide infrastructure for us, so trust everybody's doing that already. Um, we have teams for building infrastructure, uh, teams for building the actual applications um, and nodes that are going to be um, targeted, as well as people who are developing the, the various exploits and bot agents that we're going to be um, using for the, the CTF. So we love to have all of you, um, and we're just trying to ramp it up together, get everybody um, on the same page, and have a meeting soon to discuss um, what the next steps are. Um, so yeah, it'll be awesome, and um, everybody's going to be in the first Saturday in November. So mark that on your calendars. It's a 24-hour marathon of just hacking every single stupid device in the world. And it's going to be dope. I'm dropping all the relevant links in the Twitch chat right now if anyone wants to check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hella booters. <laughs> Hella booters. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, please don't DDoS the, uh, anything inside of the CTF network, though. Um, I think that'll be the only thing that you can't do. Yeah, the only thing, yeah, like while you can control the, the bots and, and whatever that, that you'll find inside, it's a closed network for uh, anyone who's listening thinking you guys are making a horrible mistake. Um, there is a, it, it is a closed network and, and you won't be able to use any of this to DDoS anything on the internet. But um, if you do do it within the network, I guess you're going to uh, forfeit anything you've done previously. So. <laughs> Yeah, we will tell pretty quickly who is doing that if they do. We definitely want to see this though from an attacker perspective and from a defender perspective. We want to see how people are quickly able to, when given the exploit, um, weaponize the exploit, put it into actual malware, and use it in the real in a real world scenario. Um, because this kind of stuff is is interesting to us. Um, we have our own ideas about it, but it's very rare that you get the opportunity to do something like this um, without going to jail. <laughs> so we want to provide that for people who are actually interested. And we will have information um, in the coming months about if you want to actually participate. We'll have teams. We'll have some qualifier of some sort um, to come in. We want to have some really awesome researchers and, and red teamers as well as exploit developers come in and, and try to test stuff out so we're super excited and uh yeah we're gonna try to ramp it up as much as possible now so yeah and if you are also somebody who's really into like if you have a bunch of firmware images um definitely hit us up because those things are sometimes hard to come by so yeah right more images the better yes the more images the more variety of uh of stuff you'll get to play with i guess Yes, absolutely. Um, we're already working on some um, virtualization and emulation pipelines that we're going to be building, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you are somebody who also really loves um, like pipelines, DevOps kind of stuff, and you're a master at that, and you love virtualization and want to do some real weird stuff with it, uh, definitely hit us up. Um, yeah, but anybody have anything else before we uh, get into the news? I think we're uh, it's news time. Oh yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, okay, let's uh, get started. So the first story that we have on here is really 
scary. I mean, it's just something that we've seen before in different um, targeting of different uh, devices. But the FDA is now warning of potentially fatal flaws in Medtronic insulin pumps. So the FDA has basically figured out or has been disclosed of ways in which you can remotely connect or wirelessly connect to um, insulin pumps that people use and modify settings on them, um, which is, could potentially be fatal. I mean, any, any modifications you do to an insulin regimen is going to be fatal in some way. Um, and so there are about 4,000, I think, that have been identified in people right now. Yeah. Um, this is similar to there's a pacemaker that had a similar vulnerability like that as well. Um, so these these insulin pumps from as far, like the ones that I've seen, I know about these specific models, but the ones that I've seen are basically like sort of stuck to someone's like uh, hip roughly. And um, we're basically Bluetooth devices. Um, uh, the ones that I've seen previously, I believe, were, were like read-only, like the doctor checks the the stats and stuff, um, but it wasn't controlled to deliver the insulin directly over wireless. But as we know with like a lot of stuff, um, just because like once you can connect to it, if there's any number of flaws in the, in the stack along the way, um, there's potential for you to break out and do something unintended, right? Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting whether or not the the company has decided to you know be like oh no we'll, we'll allow like all the settings to be tweaked by a doctor remotely or like they've gone oh maybe this is like you know these previously one these previous ones that were rolled out and thought to be like read only or like mad ride like ride execute type deals but yeah it's one of those things where uh, things are like expensive too so like there's not a lot of research that gets done on a lot of these things yeah like it, it does say that um it does, the attackers with adjacent access can read sensitive data which is like pretty much uh yeah what you'd expect that the doctor does checks out what's going on yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's it's just scary to think that there's things that can be directly inside your body that can't change that somebody who wants to hurt you can use to hurt you. Yeah, so the, the CWE that was assigned to the CVE was an access validation error. So I'm guessing like that's just the straight up like some sort of... Uh, auth bypass or auth escalation that, you know, has, uh, sorry, privilege escalation that hasn't been uh, handled correctly. Yeah, the yeah. inject, replay, modify, intercept data. Pretty standard, kind of like generic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's scary stuff. I mean, like, let's say it doesn't kill somebody um, and, you know, that it, you mess with their insulin, like maybe they'll go blind. Maybe they'll lose a leg. Like, yeah, yeah. You can seriously hurt somebody from doing this. Yeah, it's legitimately dangerous. I'm glad it's not with these models, but like, imagine just having insulin pumps on Shodan. I'm sure there is bound to be a few, but at least not this model. That's a scary thought. I mean, think about how many routers just randomly port forward shit all the time. <laughs> just like yeah. sitting, here and, uh, sitting on your home Wi-Fi watching, watching Crunchyroll and insulin pump is just uh, going crazy. Definitely a thing. Um, 
Be- just just because do? you can put Bluetooth in something doesn't mean you should. <laughs> what would you do though? Like if you realized your insulin pump was just like going crazy, you take it. I don't know. I have a fucking like, <laughs> <to> die. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like you just straight away, like holy shit, something's weird with my insulin pump. Like if you notice in time, and then uh, I guess most people who require one probably know how to. Uh, That's I mean, a good I'm, I'm going to go ahead and guess that they, they know how much insulin they need to. Uh, maintain their daily, you know, safe. Yeah. And luckily, this is one of those things, unlike a pacemaker, where there is a manual alternative. Uh, yeah. That is true. Um, hold on a second. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, definitely it's scary. And I think that, like, people need to research this kind of stuff more. So if you know or have access to any medical devices like this, or know of a way to get access to them, I would definitely do it um, and try to just play around and see what you can find. Um, you know, try to suggest mitigations to people because a lot of it is just silly. You can just really like just basic stuff that you can teach people and um, ensure that this kind of stuff is safe in the future. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of this stuff is hard to get your hands on if you don't have the, you know, whatever medical uh, ailment you re- like that requires that device. Um, because I mean, obviously, they're not in the business of just handing out pacemakers and insulin pumps to everyone. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I've, I've heard of a few people who have had their uh, hard time getting their hands on like medical devices um, for different things uh, to test them. Yeah, and like uh, Parody says in the uh, in the chat that uh, IBM were breaking insulin pumps ten years ago, which is not surprising at all. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's get into this other story here. Um. So we were just talking about this before we came on. Um. This is also getting pretty scary too. So this is a uh, this is somebody who is very involved in the. Um, key servers for um, OpenPGP and different implementations of PGP stuff. And they describe almost like in a very frustrated way um, there's an open, there's an attack that is currently happening on the key server network. So people here aren't familiar with key servers and PGP keys, basically they're used to sign um, various things, right, online. And so a lot of the times developers use them for um, package integrity and for signing important documents and, you know, putting their digital signature on things. And the implementation of how this works is basically if you you can invalidate old keys by sending messages to say, hey, I'm a new key. Similar, almost in a way, it reminds me of BGP stuff where you can just make announcements and just that's it. Um, but you can basically send, um, you know, key signing signatures or, uh, to invalidate and update your keys, basically. And people have been spamming key servers um, that are trusted by a lot of other key servers to um, invalidate other keys and basically hijack somebody else's key. And so the this is like, I didn't realize this is happening at all, but there's people that have been poisoning like pretty well-known keys that are um, distributed right now. What were you going to say? Yeah, so, 
the specific people that uh, are mentioned in this that are being poisoned are part of the actual PGP project. Um, mm-hmm. So part of uh, Open PGP. Uh, so they're the people that uh, obviously have noticed it happening on the network because they're very involved with it. But where it's not happening, it would be you know where it's not being noticed is, is probably also interesting. It's also not a new bug. It's just something that has been ramped up recently since uh, PGP and GPG are quite old. Um, but the, the key servers are basically used to distribute the public key uh, so that you can verify integrity of something that's been signed with the private key. So the idea is that, uh, so for example, if you've ever added a rep- like package repository, as you said, like the best way to, you would have seen it if you don't use PGP in your emails and things like that, um, is, is straight up, you know, you add the key server, you retrieve the key from, you know, um, like keys.ubuntu or whatever it is.com. And it adds it then to you know the keychain that Apt uses, and then Apt verifies that the package came from the repository and is signed by the developer. So that's the the kind of like mechanisms that we're talking about. Um, and yeah, it's just straight up that people are trying to um, you know invalidate the keys of specific people. And I guess the end goal is to impersonate them. Um, but one thing that it actually does is if you download a, a, a corrupted key. Uh, from a key server, like you retrieve a key and try to put it into your local keychain, it breaks like very like in a in a very hard to recover or detect way. Um, and then you know your local installation or your your local whatever you're using it for is now broken um, and needs to be redone. So all the keys that you've previously retrieved, you're gonna have to put in the bin and do it again. Yep. So, and considering how PGP is already like, so if you look at Keybase, for example, they tried to simplify the process and still not a lot of people use Keybase the way that Keybase intended originally. Um, because PGP is like, it's, it's a hard mechanism for to for like the average user to like say, add to their emails or add to, um, you know, any, any sort of other, uh, I guess GitHub has implemented it as well. So like people don't really use it because it's a very clunky thing to do to like distribute, you know, your public key and then someone else has to manually get it. They have to know about it. Um, It's one of those things that really needs a redesign, I guess. It definitely does. But so here's the thing is that the person who is is right, does this write up um, had said that nobody who is involved in the key server community feels comfortable making any major changes to the code base because it's old and it's clunked together from decades of, of work. And it's, um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's also written in OCaml. Uh, so it's definitely something that it's, it'd be hard for people to actually implement and implement a new, new modern security paradigms without redoing the entire code base, probably in a more modern, you know, dialect of it that can be worked on by people. Um, and so, yeah, this thing can threaten a lot, though, um, in terms of, you know, just integrity in general. But, at, you know, at, at worst, this is um, an impersonation that could actually poison, you know, do some some downstream um, supply chain attacks on, on popular repositories. But it can also, at, at best, just be a DOS. Because if anybody here has ever used Arch, by the way, um, and has had any issues with their key ring. Um, that's one of the most frustrating things when you're just trying to update something and you have like a lot of updates and then suddenly it says, oh, 
the key ring, one key has been invalidated, and then you have to just go through the whole process again and, um, you know, fix the key ring. Um, that happens in a bunch of different distributions, too. Arch is just one that I know um, a lot of people use, by the way. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah. The, the biggest thing with uh, this uh, SKS network um, is that with uh, so the, the difference between that and like the package repository stuff is mm -hmm. that with um, say I don't know with a, with a larger vendor they're going to add their own keys and you're going to retrieve it from them you can't push keys yeah. uh, whereas like with Launchpad for example if you were to do it like if you were, you can add keys to uh, to to Launchpad to publish it like your repository and I mm -hmm. think that I'm pretty sure that just uses like the Ubuntu key server so. Yeah. Is interesting um, where it can go, where it can, what can happen. But yeah, definitely anybody working on the now on like these systems like has probably been working on them for a while. I don't, I wouldn't believe they get a lot of new blood into the uh, into the space. Mm -hmm. So if you are somebody super into into cryptography, um, I would definitely look into this sort of thing and making suggestions or come up with your own implementations that you can work with other people to do, not just for your own entirely. Um, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, someone asked, uh, what about Keybase? And like I mentioned before, Keybase will allow you to use, uh, I, I believe you can push your signing keys to Keybase. So if you, uh, sorry, push your private keys to, uh, push your public keys to uh, Keybase. Um, so if you can push keys, then you're likely uh, it's likely um, able to be attacked, like it's vulnerable. Yeah. The, the whole idea is that once you retrieve those keys um, and you put them into your keychain, that then that keychain is destroyed. Oh, that that mechanism is destroyed anyway. I don't know if the keychain is recoverable. I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a lot of it's just like once it, something breaks, it just breaks, and you have to just rebuild. Yeah. And but um, all right. Uh, so from one weird thing to another, um, this is next story here is a write up about Trump um, reversing course on Huawei. So we've talked about this before. It's been all over the news. Um, Trump basically said that he didn't want to do anything, any business with Huawei. Um, Google banned them from the Play Store. Um, a bunch of drama happened. Basically, it, it pretty much crippled their their smartphone business. And now suddenly Trump's like, eh, I guess we can just do stuff with Huawei now. And it just, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like just baffled by what's even happening behind the scenes for this to even happen. Um, but it's pretty stunning though to see where one decision like this can really fuck up an entire company's ability to do any business. And then to just say, oh, no, it's fine. Like, where's like, there's like no trust involved then. Like, there's no like hard stance on anything, which then makes what I would say, if I was somebody who owned a large corporation like this, I'd be pretty scared to do anything with Donald Trump involved where he could just say, oh, uh, I don't want to do business with you anymore and just like screw you up forever. Because like, imagine the the manpower that has to go into removing Huawei and all of Huawei's assets from the Play Store, you know? And yeah. divorcing actual man, like, like there's like, there's like service level agreements all over the place with these people. Like there's, there's like not, it's not an easy task to just say, oh, you can't just, you just can't do business anymore. Like, 
It's wild to me. But yeah. uh, I, I, he didn't lift the ban on uh, importing, oh, sorry, on using Huawei in the network. It's just US companies uh, exporting to Huawei, right? So like Google and, and whatever. Like yeah. All the, all, it's it's everyone that he put, you know, so the things that were uh, he put in place to prevent, you know, the Play Store being shipped from Huawei products and Mm-hmm. Uh, but the actual, so that's that's like the the consumer side of the Huawei business, right? Like not not the network side. Yeah. So it, it's yeah, it's a lot of it's it's really murky, and definitely gonna have to watch this to see where this goes because this is it's just it's not good for any business at all to just kind of flip flop like that. So you, you can do business, you can't do business, especially with tech stuff where it's like, I mean, people have Huawei phones, people have com- components of Huawei in devices they own. And like, if you suddenly can't get support for it, or if you suddenly can't communicate with the networks or there's, you know, whatever, that just cripples the communication ability of most people, you know? Um, and it destroys economies, it destroys businesses that people rely on not just rely on because they like their products but rely on because their their networks go through it and like their their actual phone like imagine if your phone just wasn't supported anymore you had to just buy a new phone like your main phone that would suck like if your laptop same thing like yeah not not your defcon burner phone no no that one (laughs) (laughs) which one yeah (laughs) my my uh nintendo burner switch um yeah oh your burner switch yeah (laughs) Yeah, my banana switch. Um, I've had that once where I bought like a prepaid rinky dink Android phone, and I'm like, oh, cool. I'll, pa- you know, it's it's running an old version of Android, but surely there'll be updates. Nope. Like, no. <laughs> this was like 2013. So it was running gingerbread. So I'm like, fuck. Yeah. I think this whole thing though um is really to just disrupt like trust in huawei anyway like like there's a lot of the the flip-flop maybe it could be part of a strategy who knows maybe trump's more and maybe trump's really smart i don't know about that but maybe uh this is part of a larger strategy to uh like lose faith or i don't know what it's i don't know what the goal is yeah, yeah, there was a there was an interesting project someone made a while back where they're doing uh, sentiment analysis on Trump's tweets and then relating those tweets like the companies mentioned to like ticker symbols and then doing automated trading based on the sentiment analysis in the tweet. Damn. Yeah, it's so, like a, it's a wild wild thing to think about like that could happen. But yeah. I mean, as we see exactly what's going on like flip flopping and all that stuff. Well, I guess with, uh, like, I guess when you've got the influence of the U.S. president, regardless of who you are, um, whatever you say and how you say it is going to have an impact on, like, an amount of people, whatever percentage that is. Who knows exactly? Well, I'm sure people know, but I don't. I don't know exactly. But you're going to have like some people who are influenced in uh, the way that you want them to be, no matter what. Yeah. Right. Like, there'll be people who see straight through, people who ignore it, people who do this, people who do that, but there'll just be, like, this core group that will always be influenced one way or the other, exactly how they're being, like, you know, told to be influenced. Yeah, you know, like, told to, yeah. told to act, told to think, that, that kind of shit. It just sucks in the technology space 
where there's just infrastructure that is involved in all this stuff. You know, there's things that we need to route through. There's there's chips that need supporting devices that need support, and it's just yeah, it's just it's a huge mess. And I hope that I don't know somebody makes sense of it soon because it's getting getting pretty ridiculous now. Yeah, so, I I dropped a link in the chat. It's uh, the project is called Trump Two Cash. It's amazing. <laughs> the, the the image. If anyone hasn't clicked, click on that link right now and uh, check that image in the It's hilarious. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Sick. Um. Yo. So let's get into this before we go real crazy down this rabbit hole of um, Trump stuff. Um, security flaws in popular uh, smart home hubs let people unlock front doors. So. This one, this reminds me of MG, um, just MG, wherever where he is right now. Um, this is so, basically there is some, some smart home um, locks that had hard-coded SSH keys in them for root grids on all of them. And so people were able to put together some, uh, some bugs in this to just unlock um, any door with it. And so apparently it's being mitigated um and but there's there's a uh, 100 and what is it 112,000 devices in 20,000 households um but the number could be a lot more than that um it's just pretty crazy to think when you have something like a smart lock and you have something that's like on on your network it's you know who knows what the configuration is how it was built or what back of doors are built into it um, like I want to see, uh, I want to see a battery-powered SOC that is like called a bump key, and you just like call it a bump key. Walk up and you you bump the lock. Mm-hmm. This does like Bluetooth, just you know, or like whatever it is that they're using. Just like walk up, mm, bang it against the door, activates. I call those sledgehammers. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's or an interesting market I, marketing idea. Market it to like, uh, crap. What's the one where it's like a bump? Like, uh, ah, crap. I forgot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like uh, marketed to drug to like drug users. It's like, hey, want a bump? God, a key bump? You mean? Uh, no, no. I yeah. <laughs> never mind. Look. Off the rails. <laughs> Off yeah. the rails. Um. um so yeah, though this is wild though because I mean, imagine also having to do the firmware update on all these and telling people that they need to update the firmware because somebody can just unlock their door. Um, it's pretty wild. I don't. I literally cannot trust smart locks. There's just no way that I can put any faith in a lock that is connected to the internet in any way. There's. I mean, I bought one. Strictly oh. for hacking purposes. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually. So I ordered uh, w- really early on uh, when they started coming out with Kickstarters. I ordered one that never showed up, and uh, I got a refund. But I read just like their outline, and it's like just by being in proximity. Like this is obviously a while ago, but they're like by being in proximity with your phone, it will like unlock over Bluetooth. And it was basically <laughs> just like looking for ma- like from what I could tell, uh, I read from that that it was just like looking for your bluetooth mac being in range um because it was like you can use a smartwatch you can it was like you could use like a range of bluetooth things and it's like okay so you can't install the same software and all of those things that sounds implausible but you know you could detect 
if a device is in proximity just on the Mac and you can spook that, right? So, yeah, you could brute force that. You could brute force those messages. Oh, yeah, or you could just like, you know, Uber tooth somebody walking out of their house and then as soon as they leave, you walk in. Yep. Like, <laughs> I mean, just get Mac addresses for Samsung and um, iPhones and... Yeah, and you can like high five them on the way past. You're like, ha! Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, have a great day. they will be like, thanks. And then as they walk out of sight, you walk into their house. And you rob them. <laughs> no, you don't rob them. We're, we're just uh, red teaming. Yes, this is all for educational purposes. Um, I mean, think yeah. like, how many smart locks are on the market from like the padlock kind to door locks? And then how many have you heard of that are good? Not many, if any. I would many. say none. <laughs> yeah, pretty much every major one that we've seen that comes out has something wrong with it. And then the ones that are not really known about are usually ones that are, just haven't had phones found in them yet, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, somebody actually put a, um, they were like, uh, how can I reset um, the pin on my smart lock, right? And they obviously had the lock detached from the door and it had it taken a, the case off and the photo of the PCB. And there's like a pick in there. And there was a couple of other like interesting like eight-legged ICs that I couldn't read the part numbers on. But it didn't look all that complex, you know. It didn't look like there was some magic thing. It just looked like a regular board. Yeah, this reminds me of the thing where they're talking about uh, a story we talked about a while back, where Amazon wants to put the, you know all their shit uh, in your apartment like, complex and like sell wholesale like these apartment complexes, and it's like wow, like think of having like ten like of these shitty locks, and, like shitty like smart devices, each with their own terrible vulnerabilities, just like shoved into your house. Let's say you do do that, okay, and you have. A company that's paid to manage these for you, right? So, like, because say you, if you build a building, you're not going to have every tenant and tell them, "Hey, you've got to update your locks," because like almost all of them are going to forget, not do it, not care. Um, so you you go, okay, well, we need to outsource infrastructure services to do it. But now you've given root on everyone's lock, <laughs> on everyone's front door to like a bunch of strangers. Like, you still yep. don't have a good solution, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that honestly, it'll continue to be messy. And as much as people would like the convenience of being able to just walk up to their front door and unlocks, the implications of it are just too dire to, I think, at this at any point in time, to be a good idea. At this I mean, point, I- it's not a lock; it's a CTF. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get we'll get to that later in the to- in the chat. I think everything's uh, a CTF if you play it right. <laughs> It would be cool to see a lot of the stuff that's implemented in like EMV, um, like the payment card stuff uh, to like payment instruments to like, you know, go up to your phone and you, you tap your phone and it does something that is secured, but it's unlikely. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, like, there's so many different like things that have come out about the, there's so many SDKs is really what it, what it comes down to that people rely on for that, that you can download and play with on your phone um, for NFC and also the other contactless control stuff, Bluetooth. And yeah, it's only a matter of time until every single one of these gets popped and we'll continue to get popped. And yeah, pretty much it. <laughs> um, Forever and ever. The next story here, um, pretty dark. I think this this come out last week or the week or this week, I forget now. 
Let's talk about it. No, it came out the day after our last show. So yeah, this is um, this app, Deep Nude. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah, so <laughs> um, basically this app is $50 um, and it just basically just Photoshop boobs onto like pictures of people regardless of their gender, um, <laughs> which is really stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that just, it, that right there is enough to just inform you on the entire thing. Um, so basically people just rail against it because it's, it's awful. It's the implications of this are also terrible, um, of what people would do with it. Um, especially for, uh, there's just so many horrible things that can be done with that, with this sort of, um, thing for, whether yeah, it's just I, thick or for blackmail or for whatever, um, it's still something that, yeah, people are just trying to do. But it's also, uh, so the difference between this and deep fakes was deep fakes puts the face on a body, whereas this puts uh, a matching body on a face to make it more realistic in that manner. Um, but it, it's, I guess, like the guy said that he was creating it after, like, you know, the whole x ray goggles type thing from the 50s and 60s. Um, yeah. We're like, oh, you know, imagine if you could see through someone's clothes or whatever. Uh, but still, like it's uh, like the deep fakes. I'll, I can probably guess that this one will be considered as a, a non-consensual nude. Once you, um, yep. once it gets to that stage, somebody will be like, well, that's non-consensual. That is, get it off the internet. Yep. I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean, people use this kind of stuff as blackmail all the time. Um, it's it's just fucked. And I'm glad that they, they interviewed, um, shout us to uh, Badass Bowden over here um, in this article. Because um, this kind of stuff is like, it's used literally to extort people. And it's just, it's literally only targets women. And it's just fucked. I don't know. It's There's nothing else I can say about that besides this reminds me too of this sort of level of thing where someone's just like oh i'm doing it for something you know legitimate or whatever it's just there's no i don't think there's any defense for this kind of thing to be honest um i mean the curiosity of being like can i manipulate an image in this way to make it look realistic is one thing but like straight up being like i want to see them naked that's yeah and sell it for 50 dollars yeah at what point did this seem like a good idea no, I mean, no some people just really are just they're beyond saving in this regard. Um, just like the guy who, what was the, remember the person who had made the giant database full of every every adult um, actress and cross-referenced it with every social media picture of every woman in the world? So the oh, girlfriend yeah. had uh, you know been in a in a porn at some point, and just like that kind of stuff, where people kind of do this thing without thinking about any of the implications of it. It's, it's not like you're just not thinking. Think of how long that took. Think about how long you have to not think. Yeah, right. You have to go through the whole process of implementing a very complicated algorithm. You were not thinking for weeks. Yeah, that's that's next level right there. It's like that Facebook group. It's like, imagine thinking, I have an idea, and it comes out to be this. Yeah, I think if you do have an idea that you're like, this will be great, you should ask some friends uh, who have their heads screwed on correctly and see what they think of it and 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 get an honest answer. If somebody tells you that that's a bad idea, then you'd be like, oh, okay, maybe that's Alternatively, if you must do something that's a bad idea and you know it's a bad idea such that you don't want to tell your friends about it, never show it to anyone. 
That's so, that, that's literally it. If you're gonna make something like this and it's for your own enjoyment, you know what? Whatever. But if you're going to sell it and market it and put it out there for everybody to just get, that's yeah. bad. That's I'd bad. say like step one where you went wrong is you started it, and then like step fifty is you tried to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. Money also, doesn't make it better. Dash in the chat, you're saying, yeah, it definitely wasn't that database. It was definitely not for researching girlfriends. It was for doxing partners um, and targeting sex workers. And these kind of things are just... What sucks is that the people are literally just abusing this, you know, new technologies like this in various ways to just hurt, hurt people more. And it's just something that people definitely need to call out when it happens because we know what the actual repercussions of a lot of this stuff is and a lot of people just it seems like they don't and it's it sucks and it's weird to think that somebody wouldn't think that but definitely call this shit out when you see it um we've called it out before people have tried to ask us for help with weird ass projects and it turns out to be something sketchy like this and it's just like nope i'm not helping you you know docs like cam girls like get out of here yeah, uh, I had someone I, come into my DMs one time. They were like, "Hey, do you know how to crack Gmails and and or snaps?" I'm like, "Dude, I am not going to commit a felony for you. The CFAA ain't no joke." I am genuinely envious that you've only ever gotten one of those. <laughs> well, I just got into security last year, so like, fair enough. Well, oh, plenty more. Speaking of that, though, too, I will put out a warning to people. I meant to say this at the beginning in the announcements. I've actually, I started noticing this last night. Um, I was looking around a bunch of people who do bug bounties. Um, so, oh yeah, uh, there are people, there are there are accounts that try to snipe DMs from people when they say, "Hey, does anybody have a security contact at X Corporation?" And there, there's people, there's a couple people that I found that are just out there like, hey, DM me. Hey, DM. Like when somebody's like, hey, I'm looking for, a, you know, does anybody have a, you know, Department of Defense contact I can get in touch with? Like, and there's just some random profile that they botted and tried to make look like a real profile. And it's just the, some ghost shit. They're just trying to snipe all these um, critical infrastructure problems. So please keep a lookout on if you are looking for a security contact validate it if you have any problems with contacting a vendor or an organization at the very least feel free always to tag the crowd or email disclosure at thecrowd.com because we can help you get to the right people if you need to or point you in the right direction but just don't randomly send bugs to random ass people on twitter um, we will verify pgp keys for you yeah you have to swap pgp <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, though, I, over I, 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 the more that I, I, I looked it up, I, I was looking up like DM and, and um, Hacker One and trying to just find different correlations between those those different things. Um, I can definitely look a bit more, but I saw a couple of accounts that were trying to snipe people um, who were trying to report stuff or who had just reported um, bugs on, on Hacker One or Bug Crowd. So yeah, just a PSA for all you people who are doing research out there. Keep doing it, but please do not just give it to random people because probably some weird, sketchy, either zero-day broker or nation-state. So don't do it. Yeah. Well, the other thing as well is that you won't get paid. You won't get the money that you just worked hard to get. That's true. And even if it's a company that doesn't have a bounty and you are you know frustrated that you can't find anybody still, 
try to validate it as much as you can because there are people that can help you. There's a lot of really awesome people that can help them. I'm no expert, but generally the DOD doesn't have anime profile pictures, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you never know. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I just realized there was another one uh, back in November, but I think it was more, it was like some some dude that claimed he worked for Apple, but it was it was most likely some iCloud unlocker, you know, skid, because I had been posting, uh, I, I had recently been posting a lot of like, um, what is it, iCloud unlocking fish pages. I'm like, hey, Apple, you may need to, you may want to take a look at this. Um and he's like, hey, DM me, bro. It's like, get out of here. Yeah. No, it, it, it's definitely a thing. And people have to watch watch the back and also watch each other's back. If you see someone doing this, um, do it. <laughs> Dash. <laughs> Tweet it out. Anybody have a DOD contact? Um, uh, so, yeah. Uh, let's go to the next story. Because we're going to start running out of time in the news section here. So the next one is um, black market uh, T-Mobile data was tied to a triple murder. Um, so some people had uh, basically this, this story just goes into bounty hunters um, and people who um, try to track each other um, using sort of black hat means. And um, yeah, so we've discussed this before where different people have been pleading with different vendors um, of phones to lock down the ability for people to you know ping phones and, and request um, data for them and so the um what's it called people have been had been rallying against this stuff but they had been people had used the the same techniques that people have been pleading for people to not allow um to actually track down and kill people um which was only a matter of time. I mean, there, there's probably way more cases of this that haven't actually been disclosed. Um, but yeah, this is a real thing. Um, I don't know so I guess, like, so basically the TLDR on the, the bounty hunter bit is that, from what I can understand, is that the bounty hunters used the black market data. Um, and for, if you're a bounty hunter, I guess, like, these guys, literally, the guys in, in as part of the shootout, like, they said they were federal agents, which is obviously illegal. They came in with guns drawn um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, like, these are the people who are, <laughs> who are, who are using these, like, black market uh, T-Mobile data pings, right? So these aren't, just because they're, like, you know, these bounty hunters, like, they're not, they don't seem like very good people to begin with if they're going in on, you know, yeah, with yeah. people with guns drawn. Like, that doesn't seem like a great idea to me. I don't know about you guys. Also, uh, use Dollar VPN Club not to get your phone data involved in a triple homicide. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's just the, there are like legitimate ways to access location data that law enforcement can use um, and, and other, uh, like there are like legit APIs that are applied for by people who need them for whatever reason. Um, and I guess if you don't have that and you think maybe I'll just use the black market one, then maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Maybe. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> it was a glass building. Triple homicide. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just don't sell. Uh, if you're a company, you know, just don't sell people's locations. Yeah. That's a good start. 
Yeah, no, definitely just people have to walk that shit down. Um, this next <laughs> this next story is pretty interesting too. Um, this is about some espionage groups that had hijacked some uh, other APT groups um, infrastructure to target their people. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I guess it's kind of more of a good read. But uh, I think it's pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> people are just hijacking each other's stuff. They obviously really suck. Hmm. It sort of sounds almost like uh, people taking over other people's botnets kind of deal to like, you know, go after the original bot hurdle. But now yeah. nation state level, like if there's yeah, things that you might have seen on Fnet like uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, then it's but the C2 that you're controlling just happens to have like Mimi cats and other rats running on like Ministry of Foreign Affairs and embassies uh, computers. So, yes. uh, it reminds me of like the Scooby-Doo thing, right? Where it's like, they're just like chasing each other through the doors and then all of a sudden like Scooby-Doo and, and the gang is like chasing the bad guy and then the like, bad guy's chasing them. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's hard because I mean like when there's, attribution stuff is obviously hard, but people have been tracking these specific groups for a bit. So they kind of know what their, their you know, operations look like and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's interesting to see how this kind of stuff plays out. This is literal war. This is warfare now. Um, sorry, I keep muting because I, I opened the window and just cars going by me. But yeah, I mean, this is also a really good write-up. I, I like this, um, the way that they had done this, just kind of really clearly spelling out um, exactly what the uh, TTPs are for these people and what to look out for. Yeah, this is definitely one of the one of the uh, more interesting reads from uh, from the internet this week. Semantic actually got someone to make some lovely infographics. Yeah, no, they're nice. <laughs> um, value. Speaking of uh, of nation state stuff, this next one here is a pretty dire warning, but also very vague. So this is um, a report saying that the uh, the Pentagon should just assume. The, their satellites are already hacked. Um, it should be said that he's going to assume that at this point. We didn't even do anything yet. I wouldn't oh, yeah. even like limit this to satellites. Just assume everything is hacked. Like, isn't that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. But I wonder what the the calling for this actually was. Like, people were. I mean, they've been talking a lot about like the space force and things like that. But it's it's. I don't know what would have triggered this specific, you know, uh, information we put out there. They discovered space mimic cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, um, I've heard that hacking satellites that hard. Um, so I assume that, I mean, I don't think they're on Shodan, but um, <laughs> you never know though. I would start doing some safaris uh, right now. Uh, actually, just before we, there was a link that I guess didn't uh, hit the show notes. Just on this nation state stuff, just reminded me there was an update to uh, to the whole uh, Iran proxies targeting uh, the U.S. companies, kind of uh, that story. And uh, U.S. won, the, the U.S. the U.S. wins. That's that's I guess the outcome. TLD, TLDR, the media coverage says the United States won, and. Uh, Back to they back World War champs. 
<laughs> they disrupted the uh, they disrupted those disruption attacks. It's all over, everyone. Clap your hands. We'll see what happens next week. Yay, America! <laughs> I mean, that's the. It's always good to get these these uh, the media's view on uh, what's actually going on with cyber war. It's kind of kind of funny. Yes, um, I kind of want to skip over the next story because it's just a breach. I mean, it sucks. Yet two two billion records <laughs> on smartphone stuff. That's quite a lot. Um, but then story that after that one, it's interesting to me. Um, so this is prison time for the former ex executive. Shares ten days before to the uh, data breach. So they had sold almost a million dollars in company shares um, right before Equifax went public with the big breach that happened um, recently. And they now have to, well, I mean, it's four months in prison and $170,000 in fines and restitution. That's a slap on the wrist. It's definitely a slap yeah. on the wrist, but it's better than nothing. I mean, I would definitely like to see this. True, true, true. They still have $0.9 million. Yeah, that's not even that's not even going to the like that's barely hitting the surface of what they actually sold and made. It's um, like wagging their finger, like you you know the uh, the Colbert you know wag of the finger, like yeah. No, it definitely do crime, do uh, do white collar crime. That's that's the moral of the story here. I think that's definitely the takeaway here. Um, yeah, yeah think- this person basically knew about everybody in America being fucked and just was like, ah, whatever, a million dollars. So let's just like take it back to uh, if you know is the juice worth the squeeze? And in this case, um, I think that juice is pretty tasty. Yeah, being fined one hundred seventy thousand dollars for making a million. Some point nine million dollar juice. Yeah, yeah, it's the tastiest juice I ever heard of. Well, actually, no, that Latvian guy who in that who invoiced. Uh, who invoice Facebook and Google for their service. Oh, I heard about that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he got away with like a hundred and like a hundred and something million and then he got like I had to pay back like fifty million or something. It was pretty good. Oh, so somebody just dropped this in the uh, chat. Thanks. Shout out to uh, that Lord Parody. We just dropped this. Um so this person said that they they got a ban uh, for instructional hacking and phishing videos. Um yeah, there's a whole thread about it. I want to throw this in the show notes too. Thanks, Lord uh, Parody, for sharing this. Um, because this is exactly what happened. We got banned for this thing. Um, you know that. Anybody know how Live Overflow is doing? Um, I don't know. We should talk to him again because, yeah, he does some pretty in depth stuff. I mean, I think stuff that they want to target, though, is the stuff that, like, if you Google right now, or if you go on YouTube and just search Hooter or Botnet or Phishing or Rats, in um, the past week, you will see a ton of stuff. You will see Discord links. You will see uh, crazy shit. And it's just people teaching you, here's how to install, you know, here's how to install Mirai. And they just kind of go through the steps and teach you how to do it. Or uh, here's how to uh, set up this, uh, you know, cred stuffer, how to use like Sentry MBA or any of those stupid tools. Um, and then step by step teaching. And people try to sell those too. They try to sell the tutorials that are. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, it's definitely, that's the concept we definitely want to curb, but I see that stuff way more than I see anything actually interesting. So it's annoying. 
So I guess I should say, yeah, God damn it. I guess I should take that video down of me deconstructing a fishing kit. I mean, it, granted, it's potato quality video, but eh. I mean, Twitch has been definitely really nice to us. And shout out to Twitch for keeping yeah. us on the air. Um, the only thing they really care about is copyright for songs. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's pretty nice. We're not having any gore or any stupid stuff. But yeah, it's definitely the hacking education stuff is definitely going to be harder. I think a lot of people are not going to want to have the liability for it. YouTube's a huge platform, though, so I can see why they would do this. Um, so like, up to them, but it just it sucks when you know the people that are trying to actually do good stuff and teach people the right things, and they just get caught up with the uh, caught up in the you know my ass with everybody else who yeah. people how to install Qbot source code in 2015. Yeah, don't worry, it's funny. It's like. It was that screenshot like don't worry if these commands fail and then like it, it didn't actually compile and then uh <laughs> and the guy was like this is the only bit that matters like press enter to continue it was like uh using the binaries from before bro but okay <laughs> no. don't tell them um yeah that kind of about ends uh the new segment here so we should take a little bit of a break um probably about um five to ten minutes and we'll be back to talk about ctfs and everything that goes with them. all the frustration and pain and and cool stuff as well and <laughs> uh, friendship and camaraderie and yeah yeah um so yeah we will um we'll be back in a second uh put on some music uh everybody stick around everybody also stretch and drink some water uh for us and we will we'll be back in a moment and you can just share all your weird stories with us yeah we'll see you stay now. hydrated whoa we're back we're back hello 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 hello, <laughs> hello there yeah. children I'm glad that everybody here was uh, super stoked on the, or anybody in the chat is stoked on the drum and bass. Um, that's usually, Deep us at the old school is one of my favorite sound cards. They just rip old tapes that were played on like pirate radio and in clubs. And um, yeah, definitely check that channel out. That's usually, if you are ever curious about a jungle song that I played, it was probably one of the recent mixes from this channel. So, um, oh yeah. So let's, uh, I guess, just get into it. <laughs> CPF versus reality. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, we, we've had a lot of discussions about this, um, you know, as a community in our chats when we've worked on CTFs together or when we've, um, you know, made them for various purposes. Um, there's just a lot of debate and discussion about how people feel about CTFs. And I kind of just wanted to open it up and say, yo, um, I guess we can just talk a little bit about, let's probably start off with like the format that most ctfs are played in which is one of my biggest gripes i guess with ctfs generally is the jeopardy style of uh where you just have a bunch of challenges and you click the challenge and you get a binary or you get given a, a url or something like that mm -hmm. um th that style of format i feel like is obviously you know compared to the real world uh you're not handed, you know, the, 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 usually on that link, you'll either get at least the, the title of the CTF will give you a hint of what to do or, uh, or something like in, in, in that case. And in that, in that, when you put it in the format of Jeopardy, 
um, taken away from the real world, you sort of know what you are going into or you can guess what you're going into, um, especially Mm -hmm. if you've played a few. Whereas in the real world, there's no like guessing of like what this is. Like you just, you're in an open, like it's like GTA open world. You just like go around and find a car to steal, you know? Um, Yeah. And then you have to identify it yourself as opposed to being handed something to work on. As a counterpoint, um, if you're using CTFs as learning platform as opposed to like real life, whatever it is, then um, Jeopardy style can be really friendly for that because it gives people like the ability to choose between different categories and different levels of difficulty. And it's like more accessible for people who are coming in than like, here's an IP, there's a box there, go to town. Oh, definitely. Like the being given, um, you know, the starting point as well is, I guess, where a person needs to take that and say, um, okay, so I've learned this thing from this challenge, where, and then be able to then later down the track when they're in the real world on a job doing whatever, identify it's like, hey, this is like this challenge, as opposed to mm-hmm. like, I follow the steps that I followed before, you know. So when we, Ian, you brought up using it for learning experiences, how many of you guys here use CTFs to try to learn a specific concept? I definitely have, um, but that's not always what I go in it for. Um, I'm curious to see what anybody else here has has an opinion on and what you have learned specifically um, from CTFs. Yeah, I, uh, I like it because a lot of the time, like, right, there's so much uh, just stuff that you could like look at and go try to learn. But, um, for me, it just gives like, it's nice that it gives you one specific thing that you're trying to learn at that that given point in time. So it kind Mm -hmm. of like gives you direction for like a thing to, to learn instead of just kind of being like, Oh, like what random like thing we're going to try to research today. And Mm -hmm. I like having being sat down and like given a thing to, to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's nice so, as a learning tool. Like in that scenario, then it's more like almost like a puzzle or like an activity kind of thing where you have a specific thing and then it also has an end goal, which is, I think, one of the things that a lot of people who have complained about CTFs um, not being as, you know, real world kind of thing is your real world things like pen tests um, and even just regular application assessments, you don't always have an end goal. I mean, your goal might be to like, you know, root the domain controller but that's not always in, in scope or not always realistic from what your standpoint is but or it, it could, could not be the end goal like you might then go well how do i maintain persistence how do i exfiltrate mm-hmm. data how do i have so on and so forth you know yeah and so i think that definitely one of the values of cdfs is that it does give you a marker to say okay i captured the flag that was my goal um and i think that that it i mean it's it's hard because there's people that i know that have have you know, looked at, uh, like say, hack the box to learn how to pen test. Um, and while you can learn a lot of the techniques for pen testing through hack the box, I mean, the actual sort of, like, oh, I, I think a lot of people's techniques, I guess, it, it doesn't train you, I guess, as much as you would might think. Because I've seen stuff, you know, if you go on hack the box, uh, any hack the box, right, that is being used by a lot of people, you type W, it's like 4,000 people logging in, it's like WW data, like, you know. So, um, but then you'll start seeing weird stuff, you'll be like, okay, why is there like a, why is netcat.exe on this Linux machine? Like, why is like, you know, this old exploit, like the people that are trying like kernel exploits and compiling them and wasting so much time putting you know, like 
source code and downloading it from some remote server onto this and just trying that. You know, it just I feel like sometimes that kind of stuff when there is a goal of that, then the goal might also blind your ability to think critically when you just want to get it done, you know? Because like yeah, in, a, in the so, world, you're not going to just blast dirty cow at every single port, you know, like a like that. Uh, <laughs> with all the, I feel like, like uh, the thing that... I feel like the thing that screwed me up the most when I went from CTF playing to actual pen testing was not the lack of end goal. It was the fact that not everything had a way in. Yeah. So like, for example, like one of the methods, uh, I remember this challenge where it was uh, two disk images that were part of, I think, a RAID 5 or I think it was RAID 5 or 8. And the idea was that you were supposed to uh, create loopback loopback devices, mount the images, recreate the RAID array, and then you would have access to the file system, mount that, and then you have you can find the flag on the file system. Um, my solution, because I already knew the flag format, was literally like like cat strings grep fl- like flag prefix, and it all came out of one image, and it took about you know three seconds. Um, whereas if you had gone through the whole process, you would have learned about how do I you know what do these two disk images look like? How do they go together? Blah blah blah. So so on and so forth. How do I use this thing in Linux to mount like loopback disks and all kinds of special um, like dev devices, but uh, yeah. you know, but that's like on the designer, right? Like that's the thing is like for me, the one thing about CTS is that going into it, like I've, I've like played that many, but like, it's very obvious to me, like which ones are done very, very well and which ones like aren't. And yeah. uh, the real problem is that there's no way to know like how how a CTF is from like one of the problems for me is like I don't know how well CTF's designed going in. You guys have to like go look at it, like set aside that amount of time to play. And then if it's not, then you know, free up your schedule and go do whatever. Um, but yeah, it is disappointing sometimes to get into a CTF and it being a real like bummer. <laughs> yeah. If you do enough of them, eventually you start knowing the people who design them and you start being like, well, that one's probably pretty good because so and so designed it. Yeah, for sure, definitely, and that's like um, as well. The, the the pattern of a lot of the uh, challenges are often the same. Like, if I have to solve one more goddamn Caesar cipher, like it, there's a very set way to do that, and I don't think I've ever seen like you know a Caesar cipher that's not straight up like you know rot thirteen or whatever, um, ever. Like no, like nobody's out there like writing Caesar ciphers in their applications. Yeah, or even Route thirteen. I mean, no one. I don't really. If, if anybody like was like, oh, here's how I'm protecting like the password. It's Route thirteen. I'd be like, are you fucking serious? Like, I will guarantee you. I will guarantee you. I've done. I've done code review on someone that used Route thirteen with AES with a static key, and I was able to do like a, a like join. Um, the, to get the to get the AES key and then use like functions in the SQL to like just give me the actual results back. I was like, as you can see, this is like one SQL injection blew your whole thing to shit. Like, please put this in the bin, get rid of this whole thing. And like that was real life. It was horrible. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes definitely truth is stranger than fiction in that kind of regard. Um, double zoring and all sorts of things. <laughs> double zoring. Um, so all, all the, uh, the you know there are some certain cases where that is something that happens, and I definitely think that you know being able to think really outside of the box is useful. But it's um, 
I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's depending on I guess your goal and how you want to learn and and how you think it it's you know it's kind of up to the designer. As, um, you guys were saying I definitely think yeah. that like you have to kind of follow people that are and be a part of CTFs that are going to be more creative. Um, the challenges. I think that one of the things that I remember distinctly um, about doing um, a hack the box reversing challenge was. I had gone through all the steps of it. I analyzed it. I figured it out, and it was a what was it? It was it was following a, a USB PCAP um, of a mouse, and it it sent out um, what's it called coordinate data, like on the um, like encoded coordinate data for the screen. And when you traced it out, it spelled out the flag. But I had done this exact challenge on a Google CTF before, and I was like. Huh. Like when I got to the point where I was looking at the encoded data, I was like, this is the exact method that was used in a thing that it had yeah. And it like, yeah, I mean, that's like a really cool thing to reverse um, is, you know, captured stuff like that. But it is definitely challenging to come up with new ways to do something like this that hasn't already been done before. Um, because it takes a lot of time to R&D that kind of stuff. And then once you finally do and it gets out, then people are going to want to obviously take that and modify it. And so it's, it's yeah, I feel like there definitely just needs to be people that are, you know, contributing more to these kinds of things, because I think that in some cases there's a lot of the same people doing it um, in various scenarios. You reminded me of another challenge that was interesting, but not. I would be very surprised to see it in the, like extremely surprised to see it in the real world. And it was a method of communication uh, using ICMP packets that was uh, like the direction of the packet um, so each packet was a bit and they were obviously in sequence. And then like, if the bit, if the packet was, uh, from two or two from, it would be, um, you know, on or off. And that was, and then it spelled out the flag in ASCII afterwards. Like, I, I don't ever see that. Like that was an interesting challenge. It was, you know, we, we solved it. We got the flag or whatever, but it wasn't, I don't ever see that being a real thing, you know? Yeah. I definitely yeah. think some of the, the more interesting stuff is stuff that is based on real world things, especially things that are based on what malware does, like especially like um, really nicely written malware. Um, and I don't know. I feel like that kind of stuff needs to. Uh, I feel like we need to see more malware devs making um, CTFs, but it's kind of hard to contact them sometimes. Yeah, there was um. So one to switch it up a little bit. The one of those CTFs I played in that was by far the best CTF I've ever played in was uh, an attack defend. Um, and that was like legit, strong, sweating, don't go to sleep because we'll lose, like more Red Bull kind of deal. Um, and it was, uh, you know, a closed network of, I think, six boxes and um, a game server. And every 10 minutes, the flags rotated and you had to keep six services running and you lost points for the services going down. Um, and so then you'd have to analyze your own. So I think we had an hour to analyze the code. Each one was written in a different language, um, like Java, PHP, um, Python, and something else. And we had to keep them running. And there was so many vulnerabilities in each one um, that you could only patch so many. So we're sitting there patching our stuff, and we split the team up. So there was guys patching, there was guys um, you know, analyzing, looking for, uh, and, and writing exploits. Um, to, to retrieve the flags. And then there was people who were automating that as well. Um, and then other people looking at our incoming network traffic going, hey, 
this bug that we're not using yet has been is being used against us. So then straight away someone's got to patch it so that the other team stops uh, scoring. And then now we keep that in our arsenal and wait for other people to pat, like you know to use one exploit at a time. Wait for them to wait for them to patch. Um, and once their uh, exploit stops working against that team, like switch up to the next one. Um, and one of the strategies we used in that as well was really interesting was uh, crashing the service at the end. So the, the last command in the exploit would uh, purposely crash the service to make the other teams lose points. And so that it would also prevent other teams scoring points um, because the team that we just crashed had to get their stuff back up. And that was like, you know, white knuckle CTF. I thought that was like super fun. And the fact that all these services were code that you'd never seen before. Um, they're not, you know, a couple hundred lines each kind of deal, not like a lot of code, but you had to analyze code you'd never seen. You had to attack things you've never seen. Um, you had to guess what other other teams were doing. It was a, a real mind game at the same time. And compared, like, but that's not accessible, I think, for most people who are getting into CTFs or most people who are playing like easy Jeopardy CTFs. It's you got to build up before you can sort of get involved with that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, and it's it's worth mentioning that. Um, CTF, like a lot of CTFing stuff and a lot of, um, you know, like real world stuff, like there are different skill sets and that's, that's completely fine. Like it, it doesn't have to, one doesn't have to reflect the other necessarily. Um, but it is nice when you do, you know, when you're able to take away something from a, a CTF, just, uh, you know, and apply that somewhere in the real world as well. Yeah, and I think like some of the things that you can you can bring into it as well is when you have a team um, on the on a CTF team like somebody's good at binary stuff, someone's good at like reading PCAP, somebody's good at uh, web bugs, you know, and you sort of bounce off at those people and be like, oh, like you know, rather than just getting somebody who only does web bugs to do only the web bugs, you know, you can learn from them as well, and it's that little bit of explanation you get from someone who knows what they're talking about to come back to you, I guess. Um, and then obviously sharing what you know with other people. Yeah, I definitely think the team aspect is, is really important. Um, I've only really done that a couple of times, um, but it's always been really awesome because you can have people focusing on different aspects of things and calling people specific skills. Because I mean, I'm definitely terrible at a lot of different things um, in, in regards to CDFs and in, in general um and so it's yeah it's definitely good to, to have that kind of stuff where you know each of the strengths you can play off like any other sport now for something like what we're talking about i guess i feel like this might be a little bit of shit talking about ctf so i kind of wanted to you know discuss some of the more positive things we can can say about it so um i just want to open this question to like everybody here as well as everybody in the chat um, what makes a good CTF? What makes a good challenge for you as a as a player? Hmm. Good I like, question. Yeah, I like when things are just esoteric enough that stuff that I haven't like necessarily seen or like heard about too much before. Um. But there's like there's a foothold, right? That and, like it kind of like generally leads you down a thing, and uh, just as long I feel like as long as the CTFs have like varied enough categories, not you know it's not like ten like reversing and 
like <laughs> 10 cryptography challenges. Like that's, that's kind of like my ideal thing. That foothold thing is something I appreciate as well. Like obviously they're not meant to be easier, like immediately solvable, but I think it gets extremely frustrating with some challenges when you have like no clue and then it's just like two steps and you finished it. Yeah. Like I, I'm terrible at crypto. Like, I'm not going to lie. My math is horrible and I suck. Um, but when I get a question, like when I, when I, a question, when I get a challenge that is a crypto challenge, um, I'd like them to be, you know, because that is something I am bad at that. I want it to be something that my takeaway is I can evaluate it in the real world. So for example, um, the, I was talking about it last week. It was actually a, a the part of the CTF badge on Pentester Lab was um, uh, ECDSA key. Um, and so in the real world, if I come across that scenario again, um, I'm not going to try and break it. I'm not going to try and build, a, you know, forge a, um, a forge a verified, you know, ECDSA signature and sign my own thing. But what I will be able to do is when I'm looking at it, detect that that exists know why it's bad, what can be done with it. Like if it's super bad, then maybe I would use that again in the real world, but it's very unlikely um, that I would go ahead and, and actually try and exploit it. But I would definitely use it as like, hey, this is a thing that is broken in an application um, that needs addressing. So like that knowledge, I guess, is, uh, is what you're really after. That's the, that's the, that's the whole key. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that a lot. That's the question. The uh, matrix chat just said that most um, of CTF is being able to teach um, you know, teach myself whatever the task at hand is. I feel like CTFs are good at teaching yourself to teach, um, or teaching you to teach. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that's that's something that like I've I definitely feel comes with everything. You know that we that we do as uh, people that like to play around with stuff is that's a skill that needs to be built in a lot of people that isn't always as neat as we might think it is, but teaching yourself how to teach yourself stuff and also teaching yourself how you actually learn. I think that's one of the most valuable things that I've gotten from CTFs because I've approached certain things in a completely wrong way and screwed it up and gotten so frustrated. And then I come back a little bit later, you know, maybe months later um, after having learned other stuff and then realize that, I need to teach myself in, you know, teach myself this in one way or another. Cause like there are certain things that I try to approach that I, that I get super overwhelmed by, especially crypto, as you're saying, math and crypto stuff screws me up so badly. Um, but if I sit and actually like write out code for something, it makes better sense than giant scary equation or something. Right. So menstrual, uh, menstrual in the chat who actually won besides Brisbane CTF solo last weekend. Congratulations. Um, he said bugs that make sense and not guesswork, which like if you put, uh, if you put a hash into, um, a CTF and you expect me to like hash cat break it, like I'm not getting those points. I don't give a shit. Like I can, I can run hash cat and so can everyone else here. It's not very hard. Please don't make us do that. That's the horrible challenges. Yeah, no, it's true. And a lot of people in the chat are saying that good CTF should be a learning experience, even for veterans. Um, I definitely agree with that. I think that like things that are just sort of, I mean, I like I said, reusing one of the the hack the bucks challenges was like kind of annoying because I had already seen it. But 
it's if somebody that's somebody's first experience with you know the fact that like usb pcap even exists you know those are <laughs> those are things that like if you somebody is taking away something and learning something from it that is a positive thing so i definitely support it but yeah i definitely think that like uh the different levels of CTFs like as you get higher up in the challenges, if you're doing some sort of sequential challenge, um, there definitely should be a learning experience for somebody and have to teach somebody something. And I think that the other aspect of that too is that a good CTF has to be like reasonably solvable. Um, like there's some stuff, like one of the things that I, I've had, the, my biggest personal gripe about OSCP is that there's stuff in there that, you would have been able to solve because you would have had the ability to access certain packages that you can't access anymore. I had to go on and figure out what, um, how to get Oracle stuff um, to try to compile something because I couldn't get some Perl thing that I was trying to test out. And when you have to start doing stuff like that, when you're like, like when there's no like clean way to solve it because like your compiler won't even work. I mean, it would be good for something that's really you know, esoteric is something really, really strange. But if you're like trying to do something where you're like, oh yeah, break into this thing, but also you have to like spin up a really old Linux distribution just to compile the exploit kind of thing sucks. Yeah, like there's something that requires like GCC2 and you're like, oh, well, I can't build that build environment in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> um, it's just not happening. Yeah, I mean, there are certain scenarios where that is perfectly reasonable and perfectly valid. Um, but yeah, there's some things that are just kind of old and they get frustrating when you have to try to solve them with, you know, and it's not like 10, 15 years ago when this would have been a lot easier. Yeah, uh, like Parody just said as well, uh, Hashcat challenges require tools to gain advantage, paid versus free. Like, yeah, pay, like if you can. Uh, get an advantage over having access to specific tools. Like that's not a not a very like you know paid access to a specific tool set. That's that's a bit different as well. Like, yeah, the only reason that I got the Oracle stuff was because I had a login to enterprise Oracle stuff because of my work. So I was able to get like these modules and some other tools. Yeah, that's, without getting Metasploit, because I wasn't gonna just do that. Yeah, I think that's another interesting thing as well is uh, if you can solve a challenge with Metasploit on a CTF, like, should you? Yeah, I really try not to. And I, I get kind of frustrated when I see people are only doing that. I see like a lot of failed interpreters, like you know, the interpreter graveyard of slash temp. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of frustrating to see because you're just like, well, you, you know, you got it on the system, but you're just doing this like Hail Mary of, you know, attacks that, we're just trying to, or you see that people are, you know, doing that in general when you're running your own um, CTF. Actually, when our last um, chat challenge CTF, I have um, TCP dumps of all of the traffic, and um, people were definitely checking plates <laughs> on there. I'll have to send it to Green Noise or something because <laughs> there's a lot of really funny stuff in there. Somebody was connecting um, and trying to stream um, Windows Media Player playlists to it, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, people have tried to definitely use there's, there's signatures and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. also the thing that I, I kind of frustrated with too, is that when, when it's something in the real world, like, I mean, yeah, if you're doing like a controlled pen test and you're trying to break into something using an interpreter, I guess is fine, but every single antivirus and every single IDS will have signatures for an interpreter. 
what it looks like on the wire, what it looks like when Metasploit is sending it over. And it just seems like, I don't know, when you, when you try to like learn how to use those sort of like really prepackaged modules and things like that, if you're really trying to own something, you're, that's not going to get you in, you know? Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of attackers who are not in a you know time constrained uh, pen test engagement um, may not be using Meterpreter as well. Uh, is the other thing like I mean, you want to be able to um, understand what you're doing and not rely heavily on. Yeah, you know, what if Meterpreter went away tomorrow? Would you still right. be a hacker? I mean. <laughs> And you want to do what makes sense in the context that you're in. Like occasionally I'll have people ask me questions about like you doing using Meterpreter in a Kubernetes cluster, which like doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> and then like, if the only thing you have is a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail, but like really everything isn't a nail. So it's like, you know, important to understand. Definitely. The definitely. situation that you're in. I think as well, like when you're doing those challenges, if you're writing, um, whatever language you feel comfortable writing the most is, is a important thing as well. So, you know, if you're writing uh, like a little script that's in bash, that's fine. If you're, if you're comfortable, if you think that's the quickest way you can do it and, and whatever, but it'll also help your, your programming skills at the same time, because if you have to do something you haven't done before in like Python or Ruby or whatever, um, you know, that's just, that's the extra part of learning that is not exactly related to the challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not, you know, it's the developing, actually taking something away that maybe is not like directly in front of you. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's important to learn, like, not just like singular like bugs or like, you know, I mean, that's good too, but like to develop a greater idea of what it is you're looking at and like how to look at things as a whole, right? Like, kind of um, the higher, like, the more abstract lesson you can learn from something, the better that you can apply to more situations. Learning to learn, yeah. creating mental models, etc. I and think Jillis, that, oh, what? Sorry. I was going to say, Jillis is saying in chat as well, or try to solve them in a different way. Um, it's true. Like there's more than one way to skin a cat in a lot of computer riddles. There is not more than one way to skin a cat. Um, but if you do find another one, then you might just root the box by accident. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, <laughs> like having that outside thinking is, is what you're going to really need when you move away from CTF land and, and move into the, to the real land, you know? Well, and I feel like that's where it comes in with the challenges that give you something that's very strange, but also give you kind of a foothold into it, is it gets you practice with doing that reaching outside of what you're used to looking at. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that a good CTF will make you want to make your own way to solve something. I mean, I feel like one of the, the stuff that inspires me a lot, like I, I've written, I, I, I don't know if everyone does this, but I have definitely written quite a few custom, like, RFI or LFI or command injection through whatever weird means, fake shells in Python. That's like something I always do. Um, but when you... I guess, I don't know, I, I started out doing it to practice, just developing my own tools and I was doing CTS and stuff, but it turned into like a habit. And I feel like if you start doing enough of this kind of puzzle, I guess, you start to be able to develop your own tools and learn new techniques that will expand on those tools, which is eventually what makes something like Metasploit, like, you know, an actual product. 
by just doing that over and over again. But um, yeah, I definitely feel like really good CTFs that I've that I've done have made me make my own tools and write them. Like I remember you did that um, DNZ when we were doing what CTF was that? Oh, I know, I know what you're talking about. The one where okay, you wrote so that crazy tool. <laughs> all right, this this is actually it. Also happened to me. I did the same thing for uh, DefCon Qualls. Um, like I don't know, five years ago or something, ages ago. Um, so all right, so you have this uh, this grid, that, and you get the grid coordinates from a Telnet um, server, and it and there's one spot on the grid that is a taken square. You then need to fill the square with um, <laughs> sorry, fill the grid by using um, like uh, like like angle um, shapes. So like. Uh, one uh, one coordinate, the coordinate below, and the and a coordinate to any other side, and you can rotate that in any way that you want. Um, and then you needed to programmatically respond to the server and do and, and fill it fill it up with and fill every single uh, grid position and work around that one place that is already taken at the that is randomized every time you hit the port. And so I ended up writing a <laughs> a client. Um, in Python that drew the entire grid with like box drawing characters and then filled them up and like iterated over the whole thing. And I actually didn't even solve the challenge, but I spent like ages um, writing that, uh, writing that crazy tool. Um, and the other one, the DEFCON one was actually 3d chess. You had to win 20 consecutive games of 3d chess uh, with a Tollnet client. So I ended up writing the client and working on it with, um, like ugly packets and a couple of other guys and ugly packets will have a really good story about how uh, I lost track of my Python code. And uh, if you ever drink with that guy, ask him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, so that's one of the things that I put in the, in the notes about the rabbit that was wanted for sending us all down a bunch of rabbit holes. I definitely think that rabbit holes um, are the biggest challenge for people that, really like to solve puzzles, but sometimes just get on the wrong track um, because things are, you know, obviously going to be red herrings and things just like they are in the real world, which I think is something that is one of the most realistic aspects of CTFs is time management skills, which I have none. So when I, you know, <laughs> I don't approach a problem and then I'm suddenly realized that I'm also like writing some framework or reading like some way obscure Wikipedia page about something or some old PDF that I found. It's it takes up a lot of time and it's it's hard to that's one of the things that I need to learn personally better when I'm doing this kind of stuff. But also it's something that is definitely a teachable thing from within CTS. It's just how to manage your time as well as manage your projects itself better. Because you know a lot of the times you might miss something in your first pass of your, you know, going through, you know, try this, try that. But I think that that stuff is like really valuable to do first is to kind of make logical guesses and then narrow it down. And sometimes people just, I have definitely a hard time with that. Sometimes I'll think, oh, I see this thing. I immediately know what this is. It's been so long and then it's just completely the wrong answer and it was something so <laughs> stupid. By the time I've like already figured that out, I'm like so burnt out and don't even care. So that's what happened to me when I did the OSDP. So. Uh, you know what? I actually found a screenshot of uh, of that grid drawing thing, so I'll just quickly link that in the chat. Hell yeah! That was uh... all 
Yes, yeah. this was insane. <laughs> yeah, so when that that red uh where the red one was, that was the one that was already um at the like when it generated the grid, that was the one that was already filled and then it would you know programmatically fill it up with uh green little ones to try and so pretty. it would make a bunch of difference. But yeah, no, that kind of stuff it it it, it gets to you sometimes. I mean sometimes it's useful when you write your own tools or you can reuse a tool you've already written to do something. It's awesome. But other times it just blows <laughs> really bad. Um, so I guess the question that I have before the last question um, is what, uh, or when have real world skills that you've done in the um, helped you on CTFs, like where you wouldn't know how to approach something had you not seen or done something in the real world. Has that ever happened to anybody? Straight up. I'm really good at escape rooms. It's like, <laughs> it's like the most direct uh, benefit I think I've gotten from CTFs has been <laughs> being really good at escape rooms. Like that's not the question that you were asking, but <laughs> like honestly, physical <laughs> escape rooms you have to like, break out of a room. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can totally see that because you start thinking, all right, what are the resources I have? Like, what are the you know? I only have this much time. All right, who can I delegate this to? Like, yeah, those are um... right. You have to work together, and they're really puzzly. So like, shit actually is in Rot thirteen, but that's not the question that you asked, sir. <laughs> Good answer, <laughs> no, that's, regardless. That's viable though, because it's it. I mean, the translation between these things is, is sometimes not apparent to people. Also, not apparent to companies sometimes. If you say, "Hey, I'm gonna, you know, do some training by doing hack the box or doing, you know, whatever, pulling about KR or being involved in some other bigger CTF, um, that kind of stuff." I mean, this this stuff definitely is viable. We've definitely talked a lot of shit about it, but there's, um, you know, a lot of viable stuff for people for, you know, development, for personal development, as well as just career skill development. Um, whether your, your only takeaway was you learned how to code, you know, something better in Python or that you learned, you know, the nuances of like open SSL client or something, but still those are things that you can take away from it. Um, well, one of the things that's uh, in that attack defend that I mentioned before in preparation for it, because we, we were, you know, getting the team ready. Um, we actually wrote a Linux kernel module rootkit, a like loadable kernel module <laughs> rootkit for if we owned another team, we'd be able to maintain persistence. And we never ended up using it. Like it was absolutely, it never made it to the CTF because we we didn't end up uh, needing it. Um, but like the, the offshoot of like getting ready for the CTF um, was using our skills to like, you know, write kernel stuff and then be like, oh, we should write a rootkit for this. And like it was totally for you know there was no malicious intent or anything for the idea of it other than outside of the CTF, but the you know the skills that, of how to do those things had already been like sort of built up. Oh, they've been built up from years of experience in the real world, huh? Not writing rootkits, right? <laughs> writing kernel, like playing with kernel modules and screwing around with like, oh, yeah, absolutely. like, like knowing the internals of like, um, you know, like net filter and stuff like IP tables and whatever. Being like, oh yeah, we could, we could put this in like, you know, into the thing for the CTF, like as we're preparing. Okay. Nukes of odds before Krebs hears. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my blog. Go and find it. I don't care. Read it, Krebs. You might learn something. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, so, um, uh, the last question I have on here, um, if anybody else has anything in the chat related to that question, definitely post it. Um, but what does everybody here want to see more in CTFs? Is there anything that, you know, as a player, as a fan of the art, 
Um, what would you want to see more in CTFs? More attack defense, straight up. Uh, more, yeah. more free domain-based ones. Hack a fantastic writing report challenges. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sync objectively. Mm. I love it. <laughs> yeah. APK file. Fantastic. Android stuff. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hardware. Like hard, like the there is a um a CTF you can download for ESPs, I believe, and you can attack um BLE. Yeah, the BLE one. Yeah, the BLE CTF by uh, what's his name? Hack Dugnar. Oh, we're talking to him next week. Sweet. Ooh. On topic. I planned that. <laughs> I'd like to see more branching out into challenges that we don't see all the time, like like doing CTFs all the time. It's like people like and people said you see the same ones over and over again and it's like there's plenty of things that nobody writes challenges for and there's lots of reasons for that like i don't want to write kubernetes challenges either but like it i don't know i feel like there's so much territory to be explored and we keep doing the same binary exploitation ones over and over uh, execution side channel <laughs> that's side I'm, channel text. you get to write that one friend the uh, the Kubernetes thing is interesting because it requires the infrastructure behind it, whereas a lot of people running CTFs are just like, how can we deliver as many binaries and not get destroyed? Yeah. So, I mean, that would be good to see more of as just like hurdles, right? You would be surprised how many CTFs are run on bare metal Kubernetes clusters. Interesting. Uh, someone in chat said ICS. Ooh. Yeah. We'll be getting into... I'd map it. What could go wrong? I think I would love to see an IoT CTF. Oh, yeah. Uh, forgot about that. Also, that sounds uh, great. If anyone likes those, go to Wild West Hackenfest because they have a whole like connected house that they do there. Yes, I heard about that. We're going to be talking to some people from, from some of the run things like that for this future challenge that we're doing. Um, again, shout out to IoT CTF at IOCTTF. If you want to get involved in ours, please uh, go for it. We're going to be trying to do ICS, SCADA, and all your favorite IoT devices in one big, giant uh, death match. So it'll be fun. Or yeah, that. If you have any ideas for it, uh, let us know, and we'll help you uh, get some tells. So I always love a good uh, OSINT challenge. Yes. It's, uh, I don't see them enough. Yeah, I really I loved the... Um, Trace Labs, I believe, that does the um, OSIN CTF, uh, Ginsburg uh, 5150 in our chats. Um, it works with them. And they do, uh, they actually try to solve real world problems, which I think is a really innovative way to, to use the brain power of people who do CTFs to do something that's actually valuable. Um, they're, they're fine missing people with it, which is really cool. That's. Yeah, they work with local investigators and stuff for. You know, people have been kidnapped or anything. Parody mentioning, just mentioned again, there's uh, multiple, like having multiple layers of uh, networks to pivot over, which is also also another thing you'll find, like if you're pen testing an office site, for example, like you might be like, oh, I can, I'm the printer. How do I get to, you know, something better? And I am the printer. <laughs> yeah, I, I am the printer. Um, but yeah, like 
that's that's interesting real world stuff that would be better to see i guess again yeah. but more infrastructure required to uh like give people the opportunity to do that as opposed to download vulnerable dot bin yeah yeah I mean, yeah I was going to say, that's one of the things that I, I did like about OSCP, not saying it's an actual CPF, but just those kind of challenges um, and thinking that you're going to have to move laterally across a bunch of different things. Um, that's more of a real world thing. That's very valuable for people. <laughs> yeah, and I think... Basically uh, CTF. Or CTFs are just based around OSCP because everyone's done it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as as well. Like um, some of the people who have been around for a long time that make CTFs know about uh, bugs that we just don't see anymore. Just like weird, like you know, I don't know, like bug, like still in the same bug class of things we see, but just weird ways that it's done that people don't write code, uh, like they don't write C that way anymore, kind of deal. And um, yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden, it's like whoa. I've, you know, you might be like, I've audited, you know, 10,000 hours of C and I've never seen this kind of thing. What, what the hell? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, um, the, forgotten, the forgotten bugs. Yeah, speaking of forgotten bugs, nobody has any forgotten bugs. They want, they're trying to uh, see if people are still using them. Um, talk to them. Um, <laughs> we've been investigating the use of old bugs in modern um, software or modern attacks. So at very small egg on Twitter. Um, and also, um, Murdoch, you'd asked how, what kind of budget is required to run a CTF. Honestly, it can be anything from free to whatever you want to put into it. If you're trying to do something that's, say, um, you know, a box you have to break into, it, it's going to cost whatever it costs to run the box. Um, but if you're trying to do something with, like, a crack me or something, it's just whatever time you put into it. Most of the if people are looking for software to you know get them started, that like a lot of CTFs run CTFD for the scoring and Jeopardy servers, and like that's like sign up scoring, um, you know, graphing, all that kind of stuff. So CTFD is on the internet. I should probably yeah. provide some link. I mean, to, to try and actually play with that. That's some of the stuff that you is the most important thing to lock down too. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so actually, that reminds me. So one of the um, challenges, one of the CTFs, um, I think it was at RuxCon one year, actually. Um, uh, one of the teams was straight sniffing, um, <laughs> sniffing the submissions to the to the uh, scoring server, and then just uh, resubmitting the flags. <laughs> they did quite well. Damn. And also, yeah. I mean, if resources are what's limiting you from creating a CTF, I'm sure there's people you can reach out to that are willing to pitch in. Yeah, time more so than anything is the, <laughs> the costliest bit. Oh, Lord Parody remembers it was. It was Kitten. Yeah. <laughs> he just said uh, he got six in that CTF because he, all of his flags got sniffed. Tactics. I guess that's another thing. I guess we didn't really mention. Now that we're coming to the end, is like CTF, like flag submission tactics. Um, like, do you take the extra points by submitting them as soon as you find them before anybody else, or do you save them all up and smash them at the end so nobody knows that challenge has been solved? It's all different. Tactics. Submit man and I. 
Sorry, Aim, what was it? I submit mine. I don't have that kind of patience. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> you can't just sit on the bug for like the whole day. Like, come on, I've got to get it. Nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, does anybody have anything else to say before we uh, get home tonight? Uh, Tinker Fairy, who's also on here right now, and I are um, with CTF Circle putting on the CTF for Diane initiative at DEF CON, and it's um, going to be really fun. And if people are in Vegas in August and want to play it, come play it with us. And it's co ed like, on like I, literally everything we've ever done. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Is there, uh, is it just going to be in like the, like where at in the casino is it going to be? Or? It's part of the Diana initiative. So it's, uh, and I think, I think you're very correct me if I'm wrong. I think you maybe have to have a Diana ticket to play. Um, yeah, you, you do. Cause it's in, it's in the West. And, and so to be up in those rooms and in that part of the venue, then, then you have to have a, a ticket, but also it's cheap and there's tons of other cool stuff going on there. That's yeah. actually another interesting CTF thing that's uh, come up in the past, questionable team tactics, uh, allowing remote players to play with VPNs into the uh, team. Yeah. Well, it's been done. Ridiculous. Who would do that? <laughs> Just getting like the best hackers, you know, against a bunch of high school kids. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who would do that. Yeah. Geez. I don't know. Hackers maybe. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for coming and hanging out and talking about this. Um, very important discussion, and hopefully it inspires people to write some of their own challenges, start playing some stuff on their own, and really think about you know, what what value they can take from it, because there can be quite a lot. Um, thanks to everybody for you know cheering <laughs> to that. Uh, it's called uh, donating to us on Patreon, and in general, being our rider dies. Um, we'll have more information. Please contact IOTCTF on Twitter. That's just six letters, IOTCTF, and we will get you in touch with us um, in our channels to help us design this crazy challenge that I, I don't even know. It's going to be insane. So <laughs> I'm just really excited for it. There's a lot of really cool ideas and we can implement a lot of the stuff that we've discussed here. And I hope the other CTF organizers um, can help implement some of the things that everybody in the chat is talking about today too. Um, so yeah, with that, um, thank you guys so much for, for hanging out and we'll see you next week when we talk to Hacknar about BLA CTF. So I'll see you. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. So see ya. Goodbye. <laughs> Get all the VPN club. Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot too. In our notes, we have a dollar VPN club t-shirt that was designed by somebody that cost that is being sold at the cost of a shirt from Keyspring. Um, and so it's the cheapest shirt you can possibly buy from there. And it's just the Dollar VPN Club logo and it says free BBC on the back. Um, so if you're interested in just having that because Dollar Shave Club is super annoying about their trademark infringement, um, have fun with it. I don't know, that's all I can say. Um, see ya. Later skaters. Later. Awesome.